on the Dallas Opera Network. You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it is America's Talk Radio Show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined by Oliver Camacho, Weston Williams, and Ashley Hardgrave. All right, this week... We go inside the huddle with stage director Katura Stickan. She brought the Barber of Seville to San Diego's drive-through COVID opera season. She's also bringing opera librettists into the conversation with her podcast, Words First. Just reach 50 episodes. Take that, Aria Code. Suck it. <laughs> Plus two-minute drill. Look, if you're dumb enough to take your phone out and film Jonas Kaufman while he's singing, please prepare to be shamed in a German accent. <laughs> and if you're watching on TDO, you want to make sure you subscribe to the full podcast. That's Stitcher. Or you can just favorite the show on Apple Podcasts. Oliver Camacho, there he is. So we, we normally reserve this space in the show for a little sports talk. And I finally got caught up on Ted Lasso season two. I swear I to God, if you, if you no spoilers, anything... No spoilers, no spoilers. But Well, um, it's still sports because you did a Ted Lasso marathon. <laughs> oh, and we just had the Chicago Marathon. Yeah, but is this thing about Christ ultimately? Is this about like? <laughs> is this about like what? Uh, the 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 Old Testament, you know? <laughs> that is Sir, that is a reach. You have lost the plot. <laughs> I will say. say, Oliver, I uh, I also got to the season two finale, uh, and it. It didn't satisfy all the things that I was hoping for, but it was hmm. still pretty darn good. Cannot wait. So, Weston, how's it going with the uh, uh, Alabama Tide? Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's all Christ allegories all the way down, George. <laughs> That's what I've learned from Oliver. <laughs> Tide, of course, losing their first game of the season. So, Tragic. Ashley, how's it going with the Razorbacks? In the Razorback update that nobody else cares about, nobody asked for, it is a <laughs> tough week to be a Hog fan. Uh, we mm. lost uh, 51-52 to Ole Miss this weekend in a heartbreaking nail-biter that should never have gotten that close. Um, mm. On the flip side, while it's rough to be a Hog fan, it's fun to be a Chicago sports fan this week. We had the Bears win against the Raiders. Uh, the White Sox have kept their playoff dreams alive in the amazing game that was Sunday night. Uh, they postponed their game today for rain and weather, so they'll play again tomorrow, which is also, uh, you know, win it or it's over game for them. Also, the Chicago Sky took their yeah. first game in the WNBA Finals. So, Man. yeah, good time to be a Chicago sports fan. And also, as Weston <laughs> mentioned, we just had the Chicago Marathon here. Uh, yesterday, yeah. we're, we're recording on Monday, and nobody died. Nobody died. <laughs> nobody died. I, uh, I live on the marathon route. I'm right before the four-mile marker. So every year, every marathon Sunday at around 7.40, I just walk downstairs, and I sit on my front stoop, and I watch Olympians and the world's elite athletes run by my front door. And, and you high-five them, and you put on uh, sanitizer and high-five them sanitizer. Five, I definitely stayed five. on my porch and just waved this year. I was like, you guys got this. Um, I, I encourage any of you to look up uh, the best signs of the Chicago Marathon because there's this one's notorious for a lot of like people being on the sidelines cheering folks on and all of the 26.2 miles. Uh, and there's some really, really great signs. Um, Weston, I'll give you one to insert here for our video audience. <laughs> Michigan Wolverines grinding out a win at Nebraska to hit 6-0 and going into the bye week. So yeah, this Wolverine is... Pretty happy. I'm going to be happier. We're going to talk some opera. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Katura Stigan's work has been seen in opera houses across the United States and Canada, as well as in Chile, Japan, France, Germany, Hungary, and Australia. She's also the creator of the podcast Words First, which hosts conversations with librettists, dramaturgs, and producers about the role of words in opera and a life in the arts. Katura, thank you so much for being on the show. Happy to be here. So great to have finally snagged you after months of back and forth. Let's get right down to it. We're talking about stage directing tonight, and of course, we're talking about the podcast as well. So I was 
recently on a Facebook thread uh, or watching a Facebook thread where somebody was asking for who are the women stage directors. Uh, they were looking for women stage directors who are also people of color, but like, and let's start with getting women out there. And your name came up so many times like, oh, and we're, getting, and we're getting her on the show. So um, I'm so excited that this is like the universe wanted me to know who you were. Aww, so I was, I, was, I was on your website and looking at your stuff and maybe it's just me, but I noticed that uh, you have a lot of the bookends in your repertoire, like the early stuff and the very new stuff. And that is something that also happens with singers, like singers who specialize in early music often also do right. new music. Yeah. So can you explain why that aesthetic works for you? Or is it just those are the jobs that have come your way? Well, you know, I think part of it is that those are the jobs that have come my way. And you just you take what comes to you. You, mm. you walk through the doors that open. But um, I, I think what I love about early music is that it has I feel like it has so much space to work as a stage director that I often don't feel I feel like I'm a little more hemmed in when I'm in uh something that's more in in the normal rep but on both sides of the coin both in the new rep and and in the older rep the really 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 old rep I feel like I have more space to move around and that's really appealing to me hmm. well you're you're just looking at your repertoire you have this like very very new stuff like you did a thing with Ricky and Gordon is that what I, my understanding I uh, did like a brand, yeah a brand, um, a brand new piece oh with no with Jake the brand J new piece with that Jake Haggy yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you've also done a Pelias which is an opera I love so much but you so rarely get to see my it favorite. Uh, but uh, I would say that the canon pieces that people would recognize and would have seen that you've done are now uh, operas that you've done in a very unconventional way. La Boheme and Barbara Seville for San Diego Opera, which was part of their outdoor season and uh, took place in a drive-through. So, um, I mean, no, this is probably more up George's alley, but I tinkered with stage directing back in when I was in my, when I was younger. And uh, I just, all the problems that that would present, I can't even imagine uh, what you had to do to like manage expectations of, you know, the stakeholders, the audience, the performers, you know, uh, can you talk about that process of trying to get an opera? <laughs> try yeah. You know, the, the whole thing was on the fly. I mean, it just, we, we wanted, we, we wanted to know so much about what was actually going to happen. And you just didn't know anything until the cars actually showed up on opening night. And this was for Boheme. Barber was a whole different story because Barber came uh, eight months later and we had learned a great deal by the time we, we did that. But Boheme, we just, you know, it was a show that I had been um, contracted to do and they called me, David Bennett called me and he said, we don't want to get rid of your contract. We don't want to pay you out. We want to figure out how to actually do Boheme in this environment. And that was October of 2020. So uh, there was a lot of crazy happening with COVID. Not that there isn't now, but there was a lot more crazy happening with COVID at the time and pre-vaccine. And I think the biggest question, because they told me right away that Phoenicia Voice Festival had been doing an outdoor drive-in uh, experience. And so they wanted to take that and also do the same type of thing. And so I knew what we were walking into in the macro, but it was all the micro stuff that started coming up. I Just in terms of sound, how do you design sound for something like that? How do you deal with miking singers? Do you send out, is it going to be, um, great, I just lost my train of thought. Is it, is it going to be amplified or is it just coming through the FM speakers? How are the singers gonna hear each other? Right. Because of the way the spacing was, how are they going to see the conductor? And the conductor already was almost a mile away. Like he was so hmm. far. How are the cars going to be able to experience it visually? How many cars can you put into the space? Once we realized, and that was a basically about the time that we got to the stage, that only the first five rows of cars were actually going to be able to watch the stage show. Oh, we started... No. 
yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and there were 500 cars at this production, at this performance. We had to rejigger so many things so that because we already had six or seven screens that were up, these huge movie screens, but we had to go back and talk to the singers about please play to this camera, play to this camera, so that it became more dynamic for all of the rows behind us that were going to be watching only on the video camera. So it was just, it was an endless amount of things to think. We were also in the sea air. There was wind. There was, we had to think about how to knock down the wind on the, on the lobs. It was, it was endless. But what are some of those technical things? Like how do they actually see the conductor? What is the solution for that? They turn towards him. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes <laughs> some of the solutions are the best. words. Um, we just made sure that the conductor, the conductor actually had to stand a little further away from the orchestra than he originally wanted to so that there was a little pocket where they could, all the singers could face him and see him. And he just had to conduct as big as he possibly could. And there was just a lot of Hail Marys going on in terms of just hoping that you saw what you saw and you were able to just <laughs> go ahead with, with singing your words. Um, but yeah, they, they saw him uh, barely. I think is the, the actual answer. Katura, we're going to get to the podcast in one second. Sure. What, if anything, can transfer from the drive-in experience into the theater when we're back in theaters? I think, honestly, in a very personal way, I'm about to do this Boheme that I did in San Diego, about to do it in Virginia in a theater with a set. We've, we've completely taken the concept that had to be sort of created in order for the show to move forward without being able to touch each other, that was another thing, or get anywhere near each other, uh, made us think about the show in a totally different way. And I have to say that 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 in and of itself, the fact that we had to take these classic pieces, these canonical pieces, and think about them in such a different fashion in order for the storytelling to still line up when we were on the stage, it changed all of our perspectives on the on the on Bohem and on Barber before we ever uh, even got to the stage. So I feel like actually the biggest thing that I'm able to take and translate to the stage is just this newfound way of looking at this piece that we all just feel like we know in our sleep. And that's not to say that there isn't sound design stuff that, that was taken. Certainly we learned a lot about sound mixing and audio that we never knew before, but just being able to look at the show from a different direction, I think gives us permission to look at these shows from different directions in a way that maybe we, a lot of us, especially singers who are so used to doing so many traditional pieces over and over and over again, are able to actually take a little ownership of being able to turn something on its head. And I, I like that. I like that, that all of us had to put our heads together and this gave us such a sense of co a collaborative nature that I'm not sure exists all the time in, in a regular theatrical presentation. Well, obviously, you're a very versatile and uh, very fearless stage director, um, uh, but uh, that's not all we have you on for today. You also have this podcast, Words yeah. First. It's all about uh, librettos and, uh, and libretti and things like that. So my question is, uh, as a stage director, why, why the interest in specifically librettos? Because obviously for opera, you think about the music, you think about the big stories, but sometimes the librettist kind of gets lost. Why are you so interested in that? A huge part of why I am interested in librettists is because exactly what you said, they, they get lost. And I'm a huge text-based director. I love taking apart text. I love parsing text. I love the words and how the words are used and how they mix with the music and how they can sometimes be uh, work with the music and sometimes work against the music. I love all of it. I also work a lot with new work. And one of the, th I, I'm always friends with the librettist. I always ended up being <laughs> friends with the librettist and I watched them get, you know, shoved aside when I know that the, co the composer would have had nothing to write had the librettist not handed them a libretto right, right. so it, it's it's it might not be 50 50 but it's 60 40 I mean it's pretty there's the, the librettist what the librettist brings to the table is so huge and I just 
feel, uh, I don't know. I, maybe I, I'm have an affinity for the underdog, but that's, uh, <laughs> that I think that's, that's mm-hmm. why. So is that how the, uh, the, the, uh, idea for the podcast came around? You just wanted to fight for the underdog or was there a, a moment of inspiration where you were reading, uh, a libretto and it's like that's it that's what my podcast should be well you know I, i'll tell you i've actually been thinking about starting to write some stuff and i've been interesting mm. in sort of the creation side of things for a while that i've had uh, several projects that have sat on my shelf for a long time because i just never have time to do anything about them but gene Shear and i had been talking a lot about writing and making work from that side of things. And the pandemic happened and I lost nine gigs and I got really bored and frustrated. And I just thought, you know, I wanna keep having creative conversations, but I think I wanna talk to people who, who aren't normally part of, of the, the, the outer conversation of an opera. And so I, Jean was actually, well, Brenda Huggins at Gorilla Opera was my first interview, but Gene was my first librettist. And I, I called him and said, I want to start this podcast. And will you be my guinea pig? And that's <laughs> how it started. And I thought maybe I'll do six or seven of these. And I just hit my 50th episode uh, oh, with, with yeah. Douglas Kearney that's coming out. So, yeah. Well, that's definitely something that we can relate to here at Opera Box Score. Um, so obviously, aside from now our audience uh, getting giving you the obvious bump here, um, uh, who who is your podcast for? Who are you looking to hear? What do you want to? Uh, who do you want to be listening to uh, your show? Well, you know, I, I think it's. I think there are several levels to it. I think, um, and and actually, you know, I don't think I knew the answer to this when I first started out. I think I just sure. wanted to send it out into the world and hope that somebody found me interesting or found my guests interesting and just leave it with that. But what I found is twofold. One, I uh, I have a lot of librettists and young librettists, people who are just starting to think about what it might be to write an opera who have found my podcast. And I feel like oh, I speak very much towards them. And I ask, I try to ask questions of my uh, interviewees that will give a certain sense towards young and new librettists to, uh, about what the process is like once they enter the, the field. And then the other is, you know, I want to, I, I want singers to be able to and directors and anybody that's that's making work or is interested in seeing work uh be able to come in and pick out the librettist who uh, who who wrote the piece that they're about to work on or see and learn something about the piece and i actually i've had a couple of singers contact me who have listened to ricky ian gordon or who listened to to mark or uh royce or actually a number of, of of them and have contacted me and said, thank you so much for doing this just because it, it gave me an insight into the piece that I didn't have before and I'm working on whatever. So that's, mm. that's I think, a lot of who I speak to is, is anybody who just wants to learn more about the real, the source material from the horse's mouth, as it were. <laughs> right. Katura, so now that you've got us interested in your podcast, is there an episode that we should, we're going to listen to the Douglas Kearney one, obviously, but is there another episode? It's like, you know what, if you hear this episode, this is what I've been trying to do with this show. I got this person on to talk about this. Yeah, you know, I love all my children the same. But <laughs> <laughs> early on uh, in, in my very first season, and actually it came out July 20th, 2020. So it's, it's been a while. But there is a, an episode with a playwright named Richard Wesley. Fantastic playwright who wrote the libretto for the Central Park Five that Anthony Mm. Davis won the Pulitzer for. And what I love more than anything about this is that he is so disarming. He he is so disarming and so dis- completely guileless about himself as a librettist. He feel he was so amazed that I wanted to speak to him. And he <laughs> has such an incredible history as a playwright, as an actor, as someone who who broke open uh, the Harlem theater life uh, back in the 60s. And I just he also wrote um he also wrote a ton of films for Sidney Poitier. I mean, this man has done everything. Oh. So I, I just, I loved everything about talking to this guy. And I, I just think that if you want to hear just a really incredible interview with a really incredible man who wrote some, a pretty incredible opera, uh, Richard Wesley. Yeah, he's, he's one of my favorites. 
And so when we talk about some of the people, Katura, that have been on your show, uh, I'm not going to lie. It looks a little bit like our list of friends of the show. So I feel like there's lots of really lovely overlap. You're stealing our guests. (laughs) Sorry. You've got no, no, no. It's a great thing. You've got Campbell, you've got Fabric, you've got Tony Bereze. Um, so if I were, I'm going to go a little bit off script here. Uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit about the next episode that's going to drop, but before I do, who's your dream guest? Who's the mm. one person you really want to have on your oh show? Oh my gosh. Mm. I really, it, the, the, the one person, well, there's, there's tons, but I want Alice Goodman to come talk to me about Nixon in China oh, so, so badly. And I don't think it's ever going to happen. And I totally understand why I get it. But I just, I, I would love to have a conversation with her. I am so enamored of her work and, and just think we would, we would have some interesting things to talk about. I could not agree more. Um, I know we're going to talk a little bit about, and we have a clip from, I believe, your upcoming episode that's going to drop on the 18th. Um, talk to us episode a little bit about 50. your conversation. Yes, Hi, episode 50. Woo, congratulations. congratulations. <laughs> talk to us a little bit about that conversation you had with uh, Douglas Kearney. So Douglas Kearney is the inaugural winner of the Campbell Opera Librettist Prize through Opera America. And so as soon as I saw that he won the prize, I was interested in speaking to him. And I didn't know much about him, but he is a poet, um, teaches at University of Minnesota. And his poetry is like, his poetry is visual. It is, he has drawings and uses cutouts of of cartoons and all of this other stuff to create sort of this visual landscape that becomes his poetry. And I was so fascinated by his poetry and wanted to talk to him about just how he takes that side of himself and turns it into libretto writing. And so much of what we talked about, he, by the way, is, is a, he's worked a lot with Yuval Sharon at the industry in Los Angeles and has done um, a number of pieces uh, through, through that organization. And he is very interested in the intersection between what is written on the page and what is performed. So the performative versus the literary. And, and I love speaking to him about just how you take how you read a poem and how we experience a poem when we're by ourselves. And the same thing goes with a libretto and then how we experience it when we're seeing it in performance. And that was a lot of what we had a conversation about. And I just found everything he had to say infinitely fascinating because he just comes from such a different place than so many of the librettists I've spoken to. And, and that just, that makes me giddy when I'm talking to somebody who does cool things I know nothing about. So how many times have you, while reading a text, a libretto stayed in one place and read, reread the same, uh, same verse again and again, because you're trying to understand it or you're, you're trying to draw the music from it, or you're trying to, uh, to really follow it and feel it. Well, yeah. strictly speaking, you're not supposed to go back, right? You're supposed to just go forward. So even when we're doing that, I wanted to emphasize to audience members that that the typography that we encounter with any poem, we're still in sort of in control of our progress with it. And there are things to be gained by staying and understanding that you are running that. Reading. Yeah, the piece is never done, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a director. The piece is definitely never done. I just, I, it, it, there, exactly. there is just opening night. It's not a yeah. finished work. We have to stay committed to our OBS brand here at Opera Box Score. We are yeah. a sports talk radio show. So to keep us in that OBS brand and in that vein, let's talk a little bit about sports. What do you, what do you follow? What are you into sports wise? Okay, so there's there's two things. I mean, look, I, you know, football is on in my house because my husband loves it. And I, I, I admit I sit down, I enjoy the games, but it's not something that I would ever like go for. I grew up in a car racing household. We, my family's been going to the Indianapolis 500 since 1926. Amazing. So uh, there's about That's 80 awesome. or 90 of us that go every year. And we've missed it the last couple of years. So I'm excited to get back. Um, and, uh, and then also because my husband is, uh, from Montreal, uh, we're a Montreal Canadiens hockey family. So, uh, I enjoy a nice hockey game as well. Hockey season starts October 12th. Yep. Right around the corner. It's super exciting. Words First is on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Again, the show with librettist Douglas Kearney in which he says the work is never finished. And I know, Katura, you would agree with that as well. That drops October 
2018 stage director and podcaster, Katura Stickin, on the show with us. Thank you so much for hanging out. Thanks. It's fun. Once again, uh, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher Radio, favorite the show on Apple Podcasts. Bubba Wallace making history, Ashley. Yes, correct. He made history this last week as the first black driver to win a NASCAR Cup Series race since 1963, which is the one and only other time that a black gentleman won the uh, NASCAR Cup Series. Bubba Wallace is awesome. He's making strides. He's a really incredible role model. Uh, mm -hmm. And he's someone who, who takes that you know, just seriously enough, but without overwhelming himself with responsibility. So congrats to Bubba Wallace. Team OBS still bringing the heat in the hashtag opera on the ball fantasy football league where Tobias Wright of this show and formerly of this show. <laughs> uh, take on the best of opera Philadelphia. Here's Tobias's update. He says, current record one in three but we are really one player away each week from being four and oh we are at 392 total points scored which is in the middle of the pack thus far so once players start selling into roles it will give me a clearer idea of who's going to be starting every week he's just so good at just like backpedaling <laughs> <laughs> he back I, like he backpedaled back backpedaled right out of this show george i appreciate you not remember i appreciate it <laughs> two minute drill this one's for tobias this just in the two minute drill all right listen up there's everything you need to know about what happened in tobias land this week Yevgeny Kulesh, a performer at the Bolshoi, was killed in an onstage accident during a performance of Rimsky-Korsakov's Sadko. Moscow authorities are investigating the death of the 37-year-old performer, who is reportedly crushed by a ramp during the scene change. Remaining performances of Sadko have been cancelled. IATSE's stagehands at the Kennedy Center have voted to strike. The only way the strike can be prevented is if the Kennedy Center's management reverses its position before the end of the week. A strike at the center jeopardizes upcoming productions including Hades Town, a cabaret by Alan Cumming and Ari Shapiro, and the opening to Washington National Opera season. University of Michigan has removed the composer Bright Shang from teaching a composition class after student protests over his showing a film portraying blackface. David Gere, Dean of the School of Music, said the change of teacher would allow for a positive learning environment. He added, Professor Shang's actions do not align with our school's commitment to anti-racist action, diversity, equity, and inclusion. All the target words. Italian theaters are back open. Prime Minister Mario Draghi has approved relaxed protection measures for cultural sites, sports facilities, and entertainment centers. All venues will be able to be open at 100% capacity, proof of vax and masks still required. Meanwhile, it's still my turn. Bavaria may have loosened <laughs> COVID-19 restrictions, but the state opera will not. COVID protocols continue to be required. All patrons and staff need to wear masks in the building. Now, the Staatsoper will survey audience members before making any decisions related to future changes. At his Carnegie Hall recital on October 9th with pianist Helmut Deutsch, Jonas Kaufmann scolded an audience member who was recording him with their phone. A few bars into the sixth encore of the evening, <laughs> he stopped singing and said to the audience, I give you everything. Can't you please stop filming? One reviewer reportedly heard him call the audience member stupid. Speaking of Jonas, all Sony wants for Christmas is you to buy more Jonas Kaufmann CDs. The record label will release an extended edition of Kaufmann's 2020 holiday album, It's Christmas. Additions include tracks in original Stubenmusik, scoring for dulcimer, harp, violin, clarinet, and double bass. It could be yours now for only $29.99. I believe that orchestration is something that we call a hootenanny. 
In trade news, Renee Fleming is joining Los Angeles Opera as advisor for special projects. Fleming will appear on stage at least once per season, starting with Kevin Putz's The Brightness of Light in 2022. She'll focus the majority of her residency on projects around the connections between music and health, incorporating LA's healthcare and research communities. I'm so relieved. I thought she didn't have enough to do. Oksana Leniv, the first female conductor to conducted Bayreuth, will also be the first woman to conduct a major Italian or Orchestra. She's been appointed musical director of the Teatro Comunale in Bologna for three years, starting in January. Arizona Opera has announced Courtney D. Clark as the new director of Community Alliances. Clark will grow community engagement and further the, further the company's diversity, equity, and inclusion goals. All the target words. And on this day, October 11th, which is also National Coming Out Day here in the U.S., in 1706, it was the first performance of Reinhard Kaiser's La Constanza Sforzata, which has another name, Die Gezunge, Gezwungene, Gezwungene, Bless Gezwungene, you. Beständigkeit, oder Die Listige Rache des Sueno. Sounds great. In 1727, in 1727, Handel finished four anthems for the coronation of George II, including the coronation chart topper Zadok the Priest. In 1774, it was the first performance of Antonio Salieri's La Calamita de Cuori. In 1799, the first performance of Etienne Meul's Ariodon in Paris. In 1831, Luigi Ricci's Chiara di Rosenberg premiered in Milan, composed for the diva Giuditta Passa, Giuditta Passa, Giuditta Grisi, who created the role of Romeo in Bellini's opera Capulets and Montags. Montagues. Uh, in 1832, it was the first performance of Albert Lortzing's Szenen aus Mozart's Leben, a Zingspiel. In 1860, the French-Russian soprano Felia Litvin uh, was born. Uh, she was Brunhilde in the first French productions of Valkyrie, as well as the first French productions of Goethe Damerung and Tristan and Isolde. In 1928, Russell Oberlin, the American countertenor, was born in Akron, Ohio. In 1949, it was the first performance of Mark Blitzstein's Regina. 1962 saw the first performance of Carlisle Floyd's The Passion of Jonathan Waiter in New York City, and one for Weston. In 1980, the first performance of Alexander Zelinsky's Der Traumgürge, posthumously at the Nuremberg Opera House. And that's your two-minute drill. was a lot of operas i believe believe it or not i did not include in the two minute drill that premiered uh, on this day it must have been a big day especially for uh, 18th century operas um and late uh late 17th century operas no just 18th century scratch that um big day for 18th century operas and uh i just i wanted to bring it up because it reminds us all of how great of a composer mozart was um, we have this clip we just heard from Etienne Meul's uh, Ario Dante, same libretto idea as the Handel opera. It was pretty decent music. It sounded a lot like Mozart, but it wasn't as good as Mozart, I'm sorry to say. Uh, that was Véronique Jean with uh, Les Talents Lyriques, led by Christophe Rousset. And I stan Véronique Jean, I stan Christophe Rousset and Tal Talents Lyriques. Uh, but I don't know if I'm ever going to go back to listening to... Um, well, of course, Salieri would be the other composer right there, which like yeah. sounds almost as good as Mozart. I'm just tickled that Lortzing has been in the On This Day block for a number of weeks now. Like, outside of Germany... <laughs> Lortzing cannot be Lortzing, stopped. Although, Zehnen <laughs> aus Mozart's Leben does seem sort of fascinating. Yeah. Maybe that's your next project, George. I'm going to investigate it. Drive-through. Saying it out, Mozart's <laughs> Leben. 
what else, of course, needs investigation is this accident at the Bolshoi. Um, well, and, and, yes. You know, joking aside uh, about the house or about like the opera Sadko, you know, Rimsky Korsakov. I mean, this is this is the nightmare, you know. Yeah, it was it was really bad. Uh, I I mean, uh, they stopped the performance immediately and uh, evacuated the entire audience, and they shut down the production, which is absolutely what they should have done. Uh, what they think happened at this point was that there was a piece of scenery going one direction, and uh, uh, Evgeny took the the wrong direction. Unfortunately, um, there's actually uh, I do not recommend looking this up, but there is someone caught caught apparently the incident on video. I didn't watch mm, it, no. but. Uh, absolutely no just films, uh please. just a uh, uh, horrific and uh it, it's a good reminder that theater especially theater on its larger scale as opera is a bit, can be a very dangerous place i think a lot of people um who are not in the industry um can forget just how physically taxing you know going through a long performance can be in the dark with huge pieces of scenery um with machinery malfunctioning i mean i remember from a couple weeks ago the there was the uh the uh, uh attempted oh, murder of the 467 pound yeah rock. it was yeah. wild uh and th these are all things that can happen if if everything isn't like completely running absolutely smoothly and i hope they work this out and i hope that um uh his family finds some closure and uh um but yeah we'll, we'll see what happens with that with all due respect, Ashley, this probably won't be a problem at the Kennedy Center if IATSE goes on strike. Uh, it sure won't. Uh, Washington <laughs> is adding their uh, name to the list. Uh, I, my note for this is here, IATSE, there, IATSE. Strikes for everybody. Uh, it <laughs> seems like every time we turn around, there is another local uh, IATSE chapter that is looking at the possibility of striking or has already voted to strike. I think mm -hmm. that... It's very important for us to be paying attention to this because those stagehands are the ones that quite literally make the shows run. Uh, and we have some that are dedicated to opera houses, but we have some that are in, you know, places like the Kennedy Center where it's kind of a catch-all. You know, it's this place with multiple theaters in it. It's home to Washington National. It's home to traveling musicals. It's apparently home to a cabaret show with Ari Shapiro and Alan Cumming. I want to go see that. Um, but Like NPR's Ari Shapiro? Like NPR's Ari yep. Shapiro. Yeah. yeah. NPR's Ari Shapiro. Yeah. He sings. Exactly. What more could you want? It's so funny. I went to Yale with him. He's so pretty. Oh, is that a drink? I, I think yeah. that's a drink. I think that's a drink. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. I just wish, you know, I, I there, there's something in the water, and I think uh, stagehands are finally figuring out that they, uh, they have more value than maybe some other folks have led them to believe at some point. So I feel like we are not at the tail end of seeing local Yahtzees uh, deciding to strike. We avoided the bright Chung story yeah, last so week. So last week we, we, we almost talked about we almost talked about this bright Sheng playing the Lawrence Olivier. It's the Olivier yeah. mm -hmm. Othello yeah. for his class, and there's blackface in that. It's like, come on, guy. It's like, and he had like a very oh I didn't know you know excuse, and maybe he didn't. You know, maybe he really just didn't, which means that we're not getting through to everybody. And you think that you've heard so much about everybody becoming much more militant and calling out uh, microaggressions, but I guess we're not calling them out enough if stuff like this is continuing to happen. Uh, but I have nothing against Bright Shang, actually. I, I actually like his music, and um, it's just a shame that this is how he has to learn. Uh, other things that people have to learn is uh, not to film people while they are singing. I was just at a <laughs> concert. Uh, it was Chris Thiele who I love so much. And, you know, he's doing this tour of his new album and it's just him and Amanda Lynn. And he's so entertaining and he's so authentic and he can get very, very vulnerable on stage with what he does musically. And here's this jerk sitting right in front of me who keeps taking out his phone and filming and like you could tell him he's stopping between songs. So we could have like clean edits. Like, you're like, <laughs> that's dedication. And I, I wanted to smack him on the back of the head so badly, but I'm not a violent person, believe it or not. <laughs> and I was just hoping somebody would call him out. And I'm actually happy that Jonas Kaufman did this. Apparently, he was singing Cecily, uh, which is a pretty tough song to sing as your sixth encore of the night. Um, 
But apparently he sang it flawlessly after he, you know, blew up a little steam um, at this audience member. But come on. Oh, people. you mean like, when he took his rightful place as the Patti Lapone of the opera world? <laughs> uh, to be fair, if he's going to reach true like Lapone status, he's going to have to get down there and snatch that phone out of that patron's hand. So we will, you know, it's only been six years since he's done that. And it's only been, I don't know, 11 or 12 since she, you know, yelled at a photographer during during gypsy i'm saying he's got a little ways to go but yes he is rightfully claiming his place as the patty lapone here's the deal or alternatively uh he can run down into the audience and jam a cd in their hands uh of his christmas album from last year which uh uh, longtime listeners might remember us discussing in a very uh mildly critical way uh (laughs) And oh, I like it. I, 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 I think, think it's, it's genuinely a good time. It was just so funny to me it's that camp. that uh, that Sony was like, you know what the world needs right now? This exact <laughs> album again, but with the all bonus the things that we trip. cut out of it, yeah, <laughs> all yeah, the, the bad stuff, stuff that we thought was yeah. <laughs> Put it back in. Restore Nothing the Nothing gets yeah. me in the holiday mood like a dulcimer. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I'm sure, you know, poor Jonas, all he wants for Christmas is for you to freaking stop filming him. I get that. Um, it's, I think, I think it really, as much as we want to like shame people for this, which we should, I honestly think we should because people are being vulnerable. People are creating and you're basically taking that for free to like relive that moment at a later time. There's a couple of points I think are worth exploring here, or at least just bringing up and dropping and letting our audience think on these later. And I'm sure we're going to come back to this topic because someone else is going to pull a lapone. It's going to happen. Is The first is that we live in this world where this device is with us at all times. This device is our, it's our calendar. It's our reminder. It's our diary. It's our memory book. It's our everything. We photograph everything. We document everything. And we forget who is on the other side of that lens and whether or not they've actually given us permission to capture them with that lens. Uh, so that's, you know, that's that's one thing to think about. The other thing is there is a growing population of performing arts organizations that actually go ahead and give you that permission. They open that door. And I think it's really cool. You know, you look at some of the places, I know there's a couple of uh, like storefront operas in town that actually say, look, we want you to be a part of our marketing and our, you know, audience recruitment scheme. So yes, take photos during the performance. Yes. Here's our hashtag. Here is our, you know, set of socials. Please tag us in this. We're reaching a couple of different audiences with that. But again, these are people that gave that permission, that opened that door. So how are we going to move forward in this space while maintaining the respect of not capturing people if they have not given us this permission, but also having these other sets of, you know, slightly different types of arcs orgs, arts orgs, say that three times fast, uh, that are actually giving you that permission. I think it's going to be an interesting conversation moving forward. And I'll also I'll also say that you know I think there's a little bit of grace to be given here, uh, at the at the uh, as things start to come back from the pandemic because uh, I went to my first live opera since the pandemic uh, not too long ago, um, and it was clear in scene one that everyone had forgotten about turning off their cell phones. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. was don't get me wrong, really obnoxious, but. After that first scene, all those phones went off. There was one more like little tinkle at some point near the very end, which was might have not even been a phone. But I think that there is a so certain. So you say, Weston? Well, all I'm saying is that we've we've had like a, a now close to two years of all of our uh, all of our performances being mediated by technology, uh, not really fully remembering what it is to be in a live space you know i know i, I had the same thing I, I i started walking towards the opera house and turned the, down the wrong street at, at first you know um and it was it was very much uh it, it's very much something that people have to remember and be reminded of in a positive way uh and in maybe a forgiving way maybe not after the sixth maybe not when you're okay. on the sixth encore no no but, but that's still. you're talking about two different things <laughs> right. one is people forgetting to turn off their cell phone which yes give them some grace but here's a person that's trying to i don't think it's they're trying to relive the moment later on they're getting the video so they could post it to youtube or post it to the social that media may very well say, be hey, true hey, that it's possible well yes hey hey i was here you know yeah and um, that is not fair, A, to the artist who is trying to sell and who's buying records, but, you know, who's trying to, like, <laughs> make money from their product that they created. Yes. Um, and B, 
um, the people who are sitting around that person who paid for their ticket to have that experience and to have that one-on-one -on -one connection with the artist. And here you are with your stupid camera right in between it. And we see your little red light and we see you tapping your screen to try to focus it. And, you know, <laughs> I actually it's so was weird. I mean, oh, please. Sorry. Yeah. No, I mean, to be honest, I, I'm surprised that it was left to our buddy Jonas to actually call out. I, if I, right. if I were in that audience, I think I would have laponed him. I think I would have snatched that phone out of somebody's hand and been like, Hey, stop being an asshole. Like that's just, he's creating for you. He's working so hard for you. Sorry. You may have to bleep that out, Weston. But, um, but it's the only one, it's the only one this episode I've managed to keep everything else inside. It's so funny. Even 20 years ago, you would hear a pre-show announcement saying like, you know, audio and video recording is strictly prohibited. And you would think to yourself, why it's impossible why would i try and do something right. that it's impossible and now it's of course all too familiar you know on the show I, there's a couple people i pick on I'll, I'll be honest with that you know i pick on anna netrepko you know i pick on renee fleming <laughs> renee fleming I, I will never forget and i will never stop applauding her singing the national anthem at the super bowl for me that is like a top five moment of the unification of opera and sports and i will always believe in that moment i will also always hound her for these advisor and special projects <laughs> literally i don't think i can name one single thing that i know i'm not saying it hasn't happened that i can remember that she has done while she's been at lyric and i don't know if i'm going to be able to name anything that she does at, at la opera starting in 2022 well, I mean, I could respond to that. Like, do you have a job at Lyric so you know what's going on over there? No, certainly I don't. Why would okay. I bite the hand that feeds me? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I don't know exactly everything that she's done, but I know that she She has, did donate her dresses know. for that one exhibition Can, at the Lyric. Wait a second. Are you, no, telling, are you telling me Renee Fleming is doing things at Lyric and we're not supposed to know about them? No, I mean, like the <laughs> Bel Canto opera was, was spearheaded by her, the, the commission for Jimmy Lopez. Okay, there you go. That and, is something I remember. Yeah. And she worked with the uh, Ryan Opera Center uh, singers. I don't know when, but I remember I saw them all in a concert at one point. It was for the Nats. That sounds uh, for, a little for, more mushy to me. For the Nats, um, the Nats convention when it came to Chicago, they all did like an evening with Renee Fleming and Ryan Opera Center kids. She does master classes through... Um, I think through Merritt School of Music, but that's contracted through Lyric Unlimited. Now, don't you feel bad, George? Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel bad at there all. There are things. But, I, I mean, she she adds her brand, adds, adds the value of her brand to the company. That's true, and yes. I think that I think that's worth something because people know who she is, you know? And is that the, that's the plan in L.A.? Yeah, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> One of the things that I think could be a nice window of opportunity for her, which they put in the press release, we'll see how it matriculates, this notion of the intersection between music and health. Uh, you know, we've seen some data come out about, you know, helping with traumatic brain injury and putting classical music in places that help sort of, you know, refire those synapses. I'm sure there's a lot of work to be done on sort of the whole artist, whole singer connection. My hope is that this is not a vanity title. My hope is that there will be some legitimate outreach between the music world and the health, and I shudder to use the word wellness, but wellness worlds, uh, so that they can actually come up with some really great projects that could bleed over into the people that are actually doing the work, like singers, and keep them healthy. Well, just like to play both sides, if you add your name to a world premiere opera either as you're singing in it or you are helping the company publicize it that goes a long way because lord knows how many new operas people don't go to but unless you're if me. that's what all you do yeah if you exactly <laughs> uh but if you're doing that for like six different companies then you dilute that yeah uh that prestige you're, you're giving to that company you know just for the record, I also pick on James Dara. Let's wrap this show up. <laughs> we we're so close, George. <laughs> we said it. We said it. <laughs> God, every time. It's like uh, what's his name? Uh, Pee Wee Herman. The the magic word of the day is James Dara. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. Oh, it has been a, a strange day and a spectacular show. Just a great roster of folks on the show. Oliver Camacho, what do you got? A good call or a bad call? 
So you know the New York Times has been doing this five minutes that will make you dot, dot, dot. Uh, and I've really enjoyed the series generally. It comes with a playlist and uh, a variety of different uh, writers and personalities and fellow musicians to say, oh, if you want to listen to Mozart five minutes, this is what you got to listen to, you know? So the one that came out recently, um, I guess for the weekend, was five minutes that will make you love Maria Callas. And it has uh, submissions by our own Ricardo Muti, uh, Patti LuPone, we just talked about her earlier, James Jordan, also known as La Checa, uh, and our arch nemesis, Rianne Giddens. And uh, <laughs> to quote her uh, about Maria Callas, she found the crossroads that every opera singer strives for, where skill, technique, and know-how intersect with complete surrender to the needs of the character. Damn it, Rhiannon, why would you got to say things so smart? So good. <laughs> so Talk good. pretty. Weston can't say anything nearly that intelligent. Ashley. Mm, that's fair. I know that we've talked a little bit about uh, some not so much opera things on this show, and they usually come from me, and this week is no different. Uh, there's a really great fun series that came out earlier in the summer, but I've just gotten to it into the party. It's called This Is Pop on Netflix, and basically it's like an unpacking of different parts of pop music music history. Uh, so the first episode is about, they call it the Boys to Men effect. It was about how, you know, the the pop supergroup that was Boys is Boys to Men. Huge fan, big lifelong fan. Uh, what they did to sort of change the musical landscape. There's another one that unpacks auto-tune and the history that goes all the way back to like vocoders in the 70s and then moving forward and how they are in electronic music. It's very academic and it's fascinating. There's an interview with T-Pain that will automatically make you respect T-Pain. Yes, I said it. Uh, <laughs> but there's one on like the Swedish, inva Swedish invasion, you know, from ABBA all the way to Max Martin. It's just little nuggets and corners of pop music history that are really fascinating and they're fun, digestible episodes. So this is pop on Netflix. Netflix. If you're looking for something fun to just sort of, you know, cleanse your brain a little bit, it's a great way to go. That is it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Our announcer, Norm Waddell, he's at normwaddell.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Opera Box Score. We want you to help and deepen our benching of listeners by liking <laughs> and sharing the Jonas Kaufman <laughs> email us those hot takes operaboxscore at gmail.com subscribe to the podcast Stitcher Radio you can just favorite the show on Apple Podcasts our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho our audio and video editor is Weston Williams for our guest Katura Stickan and your co-host Ashley Hardgrave, I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera while you spill the contents of your purse on the auditorium floor as Jonas Kaufman's floating a pianissimo high note. <laughs> We're back with an all-new show next week. Charles Castronovo goes inside the huddle, plus you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more The Autumn Leaves. Okay, I'm not going to sing anymore. Join us! <laughs>